Developmental language disorder. One in 14. DLD. The DLD project. The Talking DLD podcast. Brought to you by the DLD project. Hi everyone, it's Sean here. Welcome to this episode of the Talking DLD podcast. We often talk about how DLD affects children, but what about adults? In this episode, we catch up with Sophie Franks, an active rattled ambassador and adult with DLD to hear our experiences. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Talking DLD podcast. I am really excited to be talking to who I consider to be the OG um, of DLD, which is the wonderful Sophie. Sophie, I might get you to introduce yourself and talk about your connection to developmental language disorder. Hello, I'm Sophie Franks and I'm an adult with developmental language disorder. Awesome. And Sophie and I are both recovering from COVID at the moment. So if you hear a little bit of a, um, you know, cough or snuffle, we do apologise. But it was the perfect time in both of our calendars to get together and talk a little bit about DLD and particularly from an adult's perspective. Um, So I'm so excited to be talking to you today, Sophie. I think that um, our listeners will love to hear your unique perspective on DLD because we haven't had an adult with developmental language disorder on the podcast before. Thank you. Sophie, can you talk us through a little bit about what a day in the life is like for you? Um, DLD can affect your everyday life, especially at work. Um, I've very much had my ups and downs in workplaces, trying to get people to understand how it is to have DLD and to raise awareness, really, because I think to some people you can come across as being lazy if you haven't understood something straight away or you just can't be bothered. Um, I do often wake up each morning in other workplaces and think, have anxiety in me and think, what am I going to do wrong today to, mm-hmm. you know, for someone to pick up on and put, say, can I have a word, you know? Yeah. That's a real anxiety of mine. But I have problems with um, understanding what people have said and processing it explaining what I want to say um say like when you're at work and you have job it's like you have to do jobs like different things I might forget like the jobs that I have to do um so I have to set myself reminding um also it's a struggle in meetings to keep my concentration and yeah especially if it's a long meeting I describe my brain really as a messy bookshelf. I like, love that. Yeah. There's lots What's it of like to have a messy on, bookshelf? It's like lots of books on my bookshelf. But when I get too many, too much information or get told too much stuff, the books start flying off the shelf and then I forget what I've learnt and it gets too much. And then, yeah, I completely I forget what I've been told and stuff. So yeah, a working day at work can be very exhausting. Um, yeah, mentally and, and physically really. So yeah, there is still tr- struggles at work. So there's a few things you still find a bit tricky as an adult with DLD, 
But do you remember when you learned that you had DLD? Um, well, I was only very young. So hmm. my mum noticed when I was three years old that I didn't talk. So she was concerned and took me to the doctors. Um, but back then it wasn't called DLD. It was just called a language problem. Uh, people would say, what's a language problem? Does that mean you swear a lot? And I was like, <laughs> no, <laughs> like this. So yeah, oh. um, yes. So my mum was very on board about where I should be, and my milestones, so yeah. Mm -hmm. And did somebody ever sit down and explain to you that you had DLD or what it was, or did that come as an adult? Um, yeah, I think nowadays um, people are more open with children and their disabilities. Mm -hmm. I think it was spoken about, but I don't, yeah, I think professionals obviously sat and spoke to me about it and stuff. Um, always knew there was, you know, I had problems with understanding and listening and expressing myself. So, yeah, I was aware mm -hmm. of it. Did you ever wonder why you were sitting in those offices or, you know, seeing all these people? Um, I think because it, I started up, it was when I was three, mm. I kind of, it was what I was used to. You just did it Going all the time. Yeah, I went to clinics and things like that. I always remember sitting in a hospital waiting room and then having a little home corner. I mean, going off to play in it whilst we got called in. Yeah, I have memories like that. But yeah, something I was used to. Sounds like your mum was really switched on. Yeah, she was really, really switched on. I, I had a good supportive mum. My dad was there as well. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah, she, 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 yeah, got all the help I needed. I think I remember you talking in a video maybe for Rattle, so <clears> be around um, your, your mum and dad being supportive. Or I think maybe it was your mum you were talking about being supportive. Um, yeah, she is. Yeah, she's always there, always still now. She says that when she texts me, she always has to think about how she writes it because sometimes I can get a bit confused in text messages. And yeah, she's still really, really supportive. Oh, that's great. Um, so you talked a little bit about, you know, being a kid, but could you tell us, our listeners, a little bit what school was like? back in the 80s mm. when I was born <laughs> that there was actually a nursery unit I live in a place called Worthing in the UK and there was a nursery unit for children which with language impairments mm -hmm. yeah. and there was a school next to it connected and it was called John Horneman mm -hmm. and um, it was a boarding school um, so I went to the nursery school from age three to five mum and dad didn't want me to board early so they found me a language unit in a mainstream school mm. um, until I was about eight and then I went to a boarding school in Surrey in the UK um, from the age of eight to 16 and I, I was a boarder so I was residential um, and they were all specialised um, schools for people with language impairments so I got lots of support. I was very, very lucky to have um, the support behind me by my parents. It wasn't easy for my mum to get me into all these schools. Um, you know, 
she had to scream and shout to get me in. Um, I remember her telling me that one of the professionals said to her, well, how do you know about the school in Surrey? And she said, it doesn't matter how I know. I want my daughter to, to attend like that. Because back then there wasn't internet. So she'd been told by a doctor. And the doctor said, don't tell them that I told you like this. So yeah. Good squirrel. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Amazing. And so what was school like? I mean, it sounds like you got some amazing support. Um, you know, did you find school was something that you enjoyed doing or was it still tricky or, you know, what, what was it, you know? The school I went to is Surrey, the school I went to is Surrey, which, which is called Morehouse School. I loved it. I, I, tell you, I, I won't lie, it was hard at the beginning. I was only eight, I was away from my family. My two sisters were still at home. And my mum said it broke her heart to send me away, but she knew that I was getting the best possible education for the help that I needed. <clears throat> so what was the question? The support. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah so it sounds like you got lots of help. Um, yeah, I did. Um, it wasn't, I didn't find it that hard because they kind of work at your level. I did find it hard when it came to GCSEs and I didn't get very good results mm -hmm. because I don't remember things well to remember for the test. Mm -hmm. So I didn't do very well there, but I, yeah. you know, I did all right. The, uh, the other parts of my school life. Yeah. And was there something that you really enjoyed about school? Uh, we used to do life skills like yeah. with a speech and language therapist and they take us out on trains and, things like that. I used to love doing that, going out in the community and learning things. That really helped me. What, anything you didn't like? <laughs> Maths. Oh, that's a pretty common and, one. And history, I didn't like history. Um, I don't remembering know, I all those facts. Really hard. Yeah, it was, I think it's hard to put two and two together where you got DLD about history, about when it happened and Oh. My brain just used to shut, yeah. it used to switch off a little bit. Yeah. It. I don't know why. No, and there was lots of names, like of people's names and countries and things like that. So, yeah, just used to switch off, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to keep up with all of that, you know, maths and English. It probably, I imagine it would be helpful that the school, by the sounds of it, adjusted it for where you were working at. Yeah, definitely. So we, you didn't just have your year group in your class. You had different year groups, so you all worked at, it put you in the, obviously you didn't have really young children, but you'd have like maybe the year above or the year below, and you're in the middle, maybe that you was in the same year, so you was all working at the same ability. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and did that help, knowing that you're all working around the same level? Yeah, I didn't really think about it, to be honest, whilst I was there, because mm. obviously in mainstream schools, they don't work like that, but I think, mm. yeah, didn't bother me at all, and I was yeah. with my friends, so... Most of the kids that I talk to who have DLG would say that friends are probably the one thing that often keep them going back as well. Yeah. So you talked about life at school and it sounds like you got some amazing support. Your, your mum in particular was onto it and you got some um, help at school. But what did you do after leaving school? Um, the school I went to at, now have a college. But when I went, they don't. So you're sent out into the community and I was put on a 
special needs course for people for young adults and it wasn't just DLD it was like all different issues that these students had it was very daunting and it wasn't like a specific course it was like you went on the course and then you did different things like hairdressing florist and then you kind of choose what you think you liked and then you did um I did get bullied a little bit on there by by a lad that was on the course uh I think he just saw me as an easy target um but then I had to do like work experience um in a nursery and when I was at the nursery they said to me oh would you like to do your apprenticeship here um I was a bit worried about it because they didn't know about my disabilities. I wasn't very open back then. I kept it to myself. Mm. So they were offering me to do this uh, course. I was like, oh, okay, like this. And I met, before I'd started my um, an apprenticeship, there was a lady there that I got quite friendly with and she became my assessor. So it was really quite handy that she was my assessor. She understood my problems. And I didn't really have to do a lot of written work. A lot of it was um, being observed and me watch, watching me do things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I qualified as an early years practitioner, level two and three. Mm-hmm. did take me a bit longer than it did other people, but I got mm-hmm. there in the end. And um, would you say that you still needed, you know, it sounds like you got a lot of support at school, but still needed a bit of support moving into that, you know, workforce space by the sounds of things? Yeah, definitely. It was very 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 daunting yeah it was it was scary yeah going out in the big world because obviously at Morehouse I was always had that support and people understood Mm -hmm. you got you go somewhere like anywhere in the world not just in the workplace no one knows what your what DLD is Mm -hmm. and it's really when you got DLD it's really hard to explain what it is in the first place Mm -hmm. because it's just not one thing it's quite it's complex it's got lots different so yeah it was it was a quite scary world Mm. one of the things that I love about um you know the uh, advocacy that you've done Sophie is that often people with DLD well you know everybody with DLD has difficulties to some extent with communicating right you know everybody will have those you know moments where they can't find the right word or understand what's going on but you know, you've constantly been willing to share. And that's why I said at the very beginning, I feel like you're that sort of original, um, you know, adult advocate uh, right back from when I started um, working with young people with DLD. And people would often say, you know, what is it like being an adult with DLD? And, you know, we don't, we didn't have a lot of people to look to, to say, um, you know, this is what it's like, or this is what you might expect. And I think that, um perhaps health professionals paint a bit of a doom and gloom picture you know um you know that it's challenging and hard and um you know that outcomes will look different for different people but I actually one of the exciting things I think you told me the other week when we were chatting is that you've actually just started a new job um yeah yeah just COVID and all (laughs) Um, would you mind can you mind telling our listeners a little bit about what it's like finding a job when you've got DLD um, the nervous thing is when you look for a new job, it's just filling out the application form. Mm-hmm. So um, you have to get someone to help you. So at the end of the day, it's not the real you, I find, because you've got someone writing it or 
you, you're writing what you you tell that person what you want to write but yeah they kind of put it in better words so um but yeah but actually for this job that I went to didn't have an application form I oh. saw the job advertised on social media um which was um I've taken a bit of a back seat recently with work because of the stresses of it um and my partner said that she was quite happy for me to go part-time so I found a job in a nursery as a, a cook to cook their lunches it's oh. three hours a day yeah um uh three hours a day five days a week and um yeah so I went to the interview and I and it's the first time I've ever done it in an interview and I said before we start this interview I said I want to tell you I have a hidden disability mm -hmm. uh, oh and I explained what it was like this and they were really friendly throughout and at the end of the interview they said oh we'd like to offer you the job Wonderful. um so I was really happy that they offered Amazing. me the job and then um then I got home and I told them I wanted the job and then I said actually when I was at the interview that I'll send you some of the razzled videos that I'm in Mm -hmm. So I sent them across to her and she watched them and then she sent me an email and said, oh, we're happy, we're, 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 we're lucky to have you on board, like they say, inspiration. So, yeah, and I've been there a month now yeah. and so far so good. My manager seems really supportive mm -hmm. and, yeah, I don't think I'd be afraid to ask her if I didn't understand something. It's a big step sharing that at an interview isn't it yeah because back in the day when mom and dad used to help me fill out applications you'd come to the box that it said do you have a disability and mom and dad would say put no because back then maybe in the 90s people would not want to employ you if you had a disability so my mom and dad were protecting me and saying you know don't put don't don't tick it like this but then you find yourself stuck because then later on down the line, you do find things hard and then you have to explain your um, difficulties and, you know, I'm quite sensitive, so I'd get upset. And so, yeah, I'm more going to tell people now that I have a disability because mm -hmm. it went in my favour in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, I liked your point about the application process being you know who we are you know we're trying to we're trying to sell ourselves in an interview right um and who we are is you know might be you know good at one thing or find something else difficult um i have a young a couple of clients at the moment that have gone for job interviews um so i spent a, a lot of time a lot of time thinking about applications and um, interview skills and it's really I think there is a bit of a shift um, I mean particularly it sounds like you and I are of a similar vintage Sophie same sort of age you know but um, I think that with the increase in social media messages around neurodiversity that there is a bit of a sense in, or a bit of change because but both young men I know um, who've gone through interviews just recently have both gotten their jobs um, both of them at fast food um, places who shall go unnamed but you know um, <laughs> it was so exciting and they were just so um, happy you know to get the job but 
it was nice because I felt like they really genuinely earned it and deserved it um, because they had prepared and, um, and explained, you know, that they're going to need some practice. And, you know, now what are we doing in our speech pathology sessions is coming up with schedules and reminders and putting them in the back of our their mobile phones so they can remind themselves of what they need to do. Um, yeah, because um, they said to me, if I need any adaptions, they will. Mm. Um, so I, I have to remember when I'm at work, I have to remember dietary needs. And I don't know the children's mm. names. I'm not very good at remembering children's people's names as it is. So I have to remember the dietary need. And so I said to them, could you print out some photos with their name and a dietary underneath? And yeah, and they did that for me. So I have them laid out on the sides in the kitchen each day. Um, and then I have to also set a tray up with stuff and I forget what I need to put on it. So they mm. set it up for me, took a photo and put it on the wall. Oh. So, yeah. Simple. I know, seems really good at the moment. <laughs> yeah, so some of those little adaptions sound like it makes life a little bit easier as well. Much easier because I wouldn't have asked for all that stuff in the past. So you, you've talked a little bit about your family and I don't hope you don't mind um, me asking this, but what's your experience been like then building more, at, you know, relationships outside of your immediate family, whether it's friendships or, you know, other, other sorts of relationships? You know, does DLD have a bit of an impact there or is it? You know? Yeah, um, I've had issues in the past of relation, relation, work relationships with people. I think they see me as a little bit vulnerable at times and can be a bit picky. Um, so, yeah, I have, I have had struggles there with people. Um, would want to use the word bully, but mm. bullied, but I have had upsets in the in past workplaces and friendships you know from school or work or I've always had a good wide range of friendships mm. and I still do now and they're mm. so supported mm -hmm. um you know I've got some lovely lovely friends mm. so I'm really really lucky really lucky and you know do you ever have those difficulties trying to remember things with them or is it more a is it a bit easier when you're with people you know? It's a bit more easier. You can relax a bit more with people you know. Yeah. Well, they or if you don't remember something, I'll go, I explain it, and then they help me. I don't mm. feel embarrassed. I remember in a previous podcast with Parker, um, who was a young man with DLD here in Australia, saying that he would have these word-finding moments and he didn't think that he's, friends or his mates noticed but he really noticed that they happened and he became sort of conscious that they were happening um yeah but less but his friends less so and you know it seemed it was more more important to him than probably his friends yeah definitely some people get really hung up on DLD being developmental and they might even say that kids will just grow out of it um, you, you as an adult with DLD probably have an opinion opinion on this. Sophie, what what would you say to somebody who said that you know, don't worry, you know, DLD, it's developmental, they'll just grow out of it. I'd say, well, developmental language disorder goes into adulthood. Um, if you have a, they called a language delay, mm -hmm. you may grow out of it 
and catch up. But with a disorder, you have it for life. Um, and I find that a lot of things, when you hit, see about DLD, on, it's good just getting out there. But when you see a lot of things on social media, it says children and young people. Now, I class young people as maybe mid-20s. I think that needs to change. I'm not saying that everyone does it, but you see it a lot. Um, that needs to go to adulthood as well. Um, so, yeah. I first thought when I heard the word de developmental, I just thought it sounded just like a child's disability. Um, but I am getting used to the way it's called. And it is actually nice to have, um, I like to use the word label, but yeah it's nice to have yeah. it something called oh, something yeah properly a proper yeah. term yeah i think um if i remember correctly the paper that published the terminology suggested that people might like to drop the term developmental when it goes into adulthood and adulthood and call it just a language disorder um but it's been really interesting to see how people have taken up the term dld and have really associated with it you know that it's something that's developmental just means that it starts from birth or in childhood and that it continues and you know dld's created this identity and you, you may notice i actually talk about dld more so than i talk about developmental language disorder because the catalyzed team can cover their ears at this point but i don't love the term disorder you know <laughs> so i tend to talk about dld as the term rather than putting in the disorder bit because um you know, the more and more we're learning about um, disability and the way people envisage themselves is that, you know, it's just part of who they are. Um, I, I say um, quite frequently, one of the biggest challenges I find is, and actually, Sophie, you might have an answer. I'm gonna ask you this, um, that people often talk about, say, autistic, an autistic person, and it's that sort of, um, using the term as an adjective rather than saying a person with autism but dld doesn't necessarily easily turn into a describing word or an adjective so we've been using the term dld individual but do you have a preference about whether somebody says you know an adult with dld or a dld individual or another term mm. i don't think it worries me too much uh, i think mm -hmm. it's quite a new term a mm. uh, new way of saying it it's quite nice to have actually be called something mm. so yeah i'm not sure but i don't think yeah i wouldn't mind i, th I think i would call it that to someone mm -hmm. i was going to say anybody listening who has an opinion feel free to send me an email because this is something that i've been thinking about a lot over the last few months um and at the moment i'm using dld individual but or person with DLD, because I'm one of those persons, people, Sophie, and I'll put my hand up, that probably until two years ago, I talked about children with DLD a lot, mainly because that's who I worked with, but also I didn't know any adults and, you know, with DLD. So I, you know, or, and a lot of research is around children, um, but you will see me now generally talking about people with DLD, even when I talk about young people being, you know, children or, you know, adults, you know, it's just about being a person, you know, and it doesn't matter whether you're 
young and I won't use the word old I'll say now <laughs> adult here <laughs> sorry watching Sophie's face here <laughs> the reaction but you know being a person um, or an adult with DLD um, you know it's it's across the lifespan it's something that um, you know it probably hasn't been picked up and there's you know a lovely 80 year old gentleman out there or a you know 65 year old woman who doesn't understand why they find words tricky or learning you know and listening in you know something more difficult um so hopefully we'll get there over the next generation or so of people using the term and understanding and it's just like everything else yeah totally agree hopefully lots more um social media and and i know that you've got a, a little bit of a group going with adults with dld i'm not sure if you want to talk about that sophie at all no it's not yeah. in my list of questions but i just thought of it have a group um um there's a speech language therapist in my area called rachel sievers and she started up a dld support group for adults it's only a very small group um, we used to meet up in Brighton. It was only only begun with three of us at first. Um, and then COVID hit us. We haven't met up since in the last over two years. Um, uh, but we still meet up on Zoom like every month to six weeks. Um, there's about one, two, three. There's about seven of us in it now. Mm-hmm. But we're it, actually we're all women. It's weird. I don't know why. Oh, we're really? Women, but we are. Yeah. Oh, I'm surprised <laughs> by that. Uh, unusual because they say that DLD is more common in boys, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Maybe, um, I don't know, maybe women are more inclined to get out and talk about these things. I don't know. Maybe that's a stereotype. Yeah. How interesting. Yeah, because there's only me and one other girl there who went to school to Morehouse. Mm. But the other women that are there have only got diagnosed as adults. Okay. So maybe they, as women, pick up on it more than maybe a, a man does mm. and wants to get, I don't know, but yeah. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Looking for some, um, you know, building relationships and friendships and support. Yeah, we meet up and then we all go around and talk about our last six weeks of any issues that we've had or anything like that. And it's nice to talk to people that understand. And you have a therapist there who uh, helps and gives you support. It's really nice. I really, because like years ago, there was nothing. I felt very isolated. You couldn't talk. There was no one you really spoke to about it. Um, Yeah. And you kind of got left to your own devices. And I just think now, since rattled, so many avenues have opened for me um there's so much more well I say so much there, there's more support than there was years ago so on that size it's very positive that is getting better slowly but getting better I bumped into a friend the other day in a supermarket and she went oh, I'll be watching your video she said I think I might have DLD ah, so yeah she goes I always find it hard to find my words and things like that I said oh I, I gave her, I got her in touch, trying to get in touch with someone that maybe can assess her. Yeah. But yeah. I was going to say, I'm seeing more assessments with adults lately as well. 
um, I find particularly when um, a child has received a diagnosis and a parent goes, oh, I find that tricky or I found that really hard. And I'm seeing some par- I've seen some parents get diagnosed with DLD because their child has been diagnosed with DLD, um, which I think is also really interesting. I think I was the first one in the family because my mum and dad did all right. So yeah. uh, that still happens to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, my sister and that we look at back at things now, and she's at uni now. But she's been like they did like a dyspraxia test on her. And she had help with things like handwriting and things like that. And she says she finds processing hard sometimes when she's learning. Mm. Because it wasn't as bad as me, it wasn't really picked up on as a child. Mm. She thinks, yeah, that... And her son's got a child now with uh, dyslexia and dyspraxia. Mm. So I think there is a bit of a... What's the word? <clears throat> yeah, a we bit just of a go family. Yeah. yeah. History, yeah. Yeah. Um. So if if you were, and imagine if you will, that you're sitting in a room with a young person with DLD, um, I know that the world has changed so much since you um, received your diagnosis, but what would you love a young person with DLD to know? To believe that you can do what you want to do with the right support behind you. There is a lot more support, I think, when I was at school. But they, you, you get more, you can, you can do your GCSEs a lot easier. There's best, better support. Um, well, I worked before at a school, people with DLD, they went off with GCSEs. I just think maybe they're taught differently nowadays. Um, to get the support and help with mental health as early, early as you can, because I didn't get that support. And um, it can affect you in the long run. If... Um, so I think that should be available to all, to all students. Also, where I worked before with a school with children with DLD, they do have a say, psychologist, psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. So I can't a counsellor on um, on at the school. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like a drop-in place that they can go and talk to him all the time. We didn't yep. have that available. It wasn't offered ever, yep. and I think in to express and how you feel about your problems because that wasn't really spoken about so I just think if there's anything like that is to get the help you can get um yeah and just be positive really I think that's a really great message particularly um I I most of my work is in schools and school-aged children and I keep on coming back to the point that you know children with DLD can and do learn when the right supports are put in place for them um and what I think I need to start thinking more about is the fact that that support can, needs to continue beyond just school. Um, I've had some lovely transitions lately with young, particularly young men, where school has felt really hard, but we've been able to direct them into jobs or career paths that for them they feel like they're able to do that and succeed more than they were at school, and that's really exciting. Um, particular and if anybody's done my diagnosing DLD course they'll know that I talk about um, a young client who they arrived um, to me in what we call year 11 which is the year before they finished school um, having failed all of their subjects um, and really was on a path for um, struggle 
ended up diagnosing them with DLD at that point, having not had a diagnosis before, changed all of their subjects, and they're now doing um, an apprenticeship and, you know, really feel confident and supportive because they now actually understand that language is something they find tricky. It wasn't that they were not smart. It was that using language and understanding was trickier for them. And they've been able to choose a career now that they can succeed in. So I think we're starting to get from my end, back at the school end, better at going, you know, let's putting in the supports, but also if you understand this, you can actually make an informed decision about what sorts of jobs you might want to do, which back when I was leaving school, it was totally different. I imagine it was probably similar for you. You know, we kind of muddled through to a certain extent. Yeah, I remember going to see the careers officer and uh, I, remember not, I remember her not being very um, positive and encouraging with me. I don't know, I don't know if it's because I had a disability, but hopefully mm. that's changed now. <laughs> I'd hope so. I remember I said to her I wanted to work with children or animals and she went, oh, that's not very good money. I was like, oh, like that. So I came, I came away feeling a little bit, you know, a bit, what's the word? Um, yeah, a bit flat. Yeah, flat. Flat for mm. me. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I've made a career of working with children. I think working with children's great. So. Yes. <laughs> um, me too. Exactly. <laughs> we're almost there, Sophie. I promise we're almost at the end. I've chewed your ear off. Sorry. But in your opinion... Um, what do you hope to see in the future for DLD? I think you've touched on this already, either whether it's research or, um, you know, what speech pathologists or health professionals are doing or what supports are out there for adults. What would you like to see happen or be different in the future? One of the things is that I'd like to know why people get DLD because there's no real explanation why people get it. I think that's the same with autism and things like that. But yeah, it'd be interesting to know why. Um, obviously, more awareness um, to have um, more uh, um, offered, more counselling for people who have disabilities. Um, just more support for adults um I, like I said I am getting more support but to get an assessment you have to pay in mm. the UK I actually didn't have to pay because when I went to the doctors and asked for assessment they thought I was autistic because I explained my disability mm. I told them I wasn't so they put me through an autism assessment Mm. Um, which I thought, oh, okay, it'll be quite interesting anyway. Um, and then they came back and said, oh, you're not autistic. So under their company, they had a speech language therapist that mm -hmm. did DLD assessments. So um, I went through that and had a DLD assessment through them. Mm -hmm. I have got a report now. Okay. But it was a really long process to get it. It was about two years. Wow. So, yeah, um, uh, I think that's it, really. But, yeah, that's more great. awareness, support, and people knowing about it. You say to someone, I have DLD, I'll go, yeah, I know what that is. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Sophie, we're drawing to a close, and I've just got one more question for you. 
Um, at the DLD project, we're really trying to focus on self-care now more than ever, um, as we're all, uh, you know, busy and um, having, you know, COVID and all sorts of things happening to us. <laughs> what do you like to do to look after yourself? Just being around positive and supportive people. Yeah. Like positive relationships and friendships. Um, and just do what makes you happy. Um, get the help that's offered. Mm. Um, getting out for exercise and fresh air like that. Uh, and just having and finding time to myself. Um, I think it's important. Um, enjoy cookery and baking. So that, that really makes me happy. But yeah. Awesome. I think that the lovely part of, um, you know, your message today is that, uh, you know, you can do all of that, right? You know, you can find time to, you know, you sound like you're doing more cooking now than you ever have before if you're uh, cooking for all those little ones. Um, yeah. But, um, you know, being able to, you know, find time in busy work weeks to relax is important. Um, but also the fact that, you know, not everything is always smooth and easy, but you're able to see the positivity. I think that that's just shown through in everything you've said today. Um, and thank you so much for sharing your story. I know that people, you know, will probably ask you all the time what it's like to be an adult with DLD. And I hope that this will give you maybe even a, a direction to push them to, to say, hey, listen to my podcast with the DLD project or, um, you know, listen to your amazing videos with Rattled, um, you know, to be able to understand what life is like with DLD. So thank you so much for sharing, because I think that you're an amazing advocate, somebody who I followed very early on in my Twitter journey, and I will put your Twitter handle in the show notes for the podcast, for anybody who is interested in um, reaching out to you and um, following you on Twitter. Um, but I really appreciate your time and for sharing with our listeners. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks again to Sophie for joining us on this episode of the Talking DLD podcast. Make sure you head to our website to find links to Sophie's Facebook and Twitter accounts, plus other resources discussed in this episode. If you'd like to grow your knowledge of DLD, be sure to check out our many live and on-demand training options now at thedldproject.com. Together, we can create a world where people with DLD are recognised, understood and empowered to live their best life.